right, welcome back to the Act 2 podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I'm Josh Hallman. And Josh and I are both hopped up on artificial energy drinks. Yes. That's like a just a flag I want everyone to <laughs> be aware yeah. of. Today, we're sponsored by, um, unofficially <laughs> sponsored by Zoa, the Rocks energy drink. He doesn't know he's sponsoring it, but... Yeah, if if I if I pass out at any point during this uh, podcast, <laughs> it's because I'm overly caffeinated. I don't know what to do with myself. And I'm unofficially sponsored by Ghost Ghost Gamer Peach mm. Drink, which is great, and I'm loving it. But we'll see how this podcast goes. All right, before we talk about ghost writing today, which I think yeah. is very fascinating. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast, give us a rating, write a comment, tell us your favorite Back to the Future scene. <laughs> if you'd rather DM us with questions or topic suggestions, you can reach out to us at act2writers at gmail.com, which is all spelled out, or on our Instagram at act2writers. Um, we actually got a couple amazing topic suggestions this week from a few listeners, and I'm really excited to talk about them. I'm very excited to talk about them, too. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. All right. So you can also find me, Tasha, on Instagram at Story Thursday or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. And I am on Instagram at Josh Hallman or Twitter uh, at Joshua Hallman. <laughs> All right. So we're going to start with a This Week in Writing, mm -hmm. which is not really anything that's happened to us, but just kind of new things we learned this week. Like I learned this week that Pretty Woman is not the movie that I thought it was, or at least originally was not the movie I thought it was. That's correct. You sent me a link. You were like, dude, check this out. And I looked at it and I said, what the fuck? And basically it was originally titled 3000 and it was a very dark movie. So I did some digging. I can't wait. I did some act two investigative journalism. Journalism meaning? Journalizing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let me let me just break this down. You ready? I'm so ready. There is a writer. His name is J.F. Lawton, the man responsible for 3000, the original Pretty Woman, which was this dark and very gritty film. J.F. Lawton, as it turns out, has some, some pretty great credits, including Under Siege. Great movie. Obviously, Under Siege 2. Obviously. <laughs> chain reaction which is a little bit underrated and then he kind of <laughs> fell off and i was like this is weird what happened to him but then i noticed this tv series he had and guess who the star of the tv series was who you'll never guess i'll just tell you pamela anderson okay i i feel like that tracks yeah and so it tracks because what the original pretty woman was and then these follow-up credits that you just listed to me that oh. tracks I don't know if that's a shot at J.F. Lawton, but I'm going to read you um, what this show is about. <laughs> it's called VIP. It was on from 1998 to 2002. That's four oh, seasons damn. of television. A team of five, three professional bodyguards, a receptionist, and the ex-hot dog vendor and the figurehead, Pamela Anderson, make up Valley Irons protection vip bodyguards they're bodyguards for celebrities oh that's actually yeah. not a bad idea i know anyway 
not to spend too much time on this, but just let me give you a little history of J.F. Lawton. A struggling screenwriter, he wrote 3000. He had, was inspired from Wall Street and The Last Detail. As Lawton tells it, he was just trying to do something to get a gig. I was a screenwriter who was trying to get a job. I was unemployed, I was working in post-production, and I was trying to sell scripts. I've been writing all of these ninja scripts and comedies, and I just couldn't get any attention. So it was a time for a change. I suddenly said, well, maybe I need to do something more serious and dramatic. And I had written a script called Red Sneakers, which was about a one-legged lesbian stand-up comic who was an alcoholic. And all of a sudden, I got a lot of attention, people were really interested in me, and people were talking to me. No way. Fuck yeah. So from that attention, he writes 3,000. And by the way, you can find 3,000 online, Ooh. just to let you know. And 3,000 was developed at the Sundance Institute. Oh. And then it was purchased by these two producers um, from a company called Vestron. That company went belly up, and the film rights, as Lawton puts it, were upgraded to Disney. Mm. Disney happened to be looking for something darker. Specifically, they were trying to get the director Gary Marshall to stick around at Disney, who was under contract and wanted to do a follow-up to Beaches that was a little bit darker. So they thought that 3000 may be a little too dark for Disney, but they wanted it anyway. So they bring in Marshall. Marshall really uh, connected to the script, but he still wanted to make it a little bit uh, lighter. And he really wanted to tell a story about a girl who wanted to change her life which was exactly what Pretty Woman was and exactly what 3000 was about. So Disney purchases this script. And at that time, they're obviously doing some dark shit. Disney then says, you know, we still want to make this a little bit lighter for the Disney brand. So Lawton took a pass and he did his pass. And Disney comes back and says it was too light. So basically his first script was too dark. And then he was told to make it lighter to fit the Disney brand. And then he got fired because it was too light. And the way Lawton put it was that he was like, I was going to get fired anyway because they wanted to bring in some new writers. So then the script cycled through different writers. The way that Lawton recalls this is that he wasn't upset about it. He said that on the other side of it, I am a, I'm supposed to be a wounded artist. And it's like I painted Da Vinci or whatever. And then all of a sudden these guys slashed it. But actually I was a guy who's writing these ninja movies. So I was thrilled. Okay, so... Basically, it then goes through all these uh, different drafts over at Disney. So this producer then comes in named Laura Ziskin. And Laura actually was, they said that she kind of made this major contribution because what she ended up coming and saying is she's like, pretty woman needs to save Richard Gere, essentially. So she's the one who comes in. And at the very end, there's like this line apparently that's like, he saved her. And then someone else says, actually, she saved him. So it was mm -hmm. kind of like this thing where they both kind of saved each other. Whereas before it was just like, a male-centric film, apparently. Mm. You know, one thing leads to another. Gary Marshall liked it. They make the film. It turns into this fucking crazy rom-com, and it's a defining moment for Julia Roberts' career and Richard Gere's career. And uh, that's my energy drink story that I stumbled through. I love that story. That's very interesting, because the thing that captured me about the article that I sent you was that... Julie Roberts talks about how dark the movie was and that at the end of the movie in of 3000, the original script, her character was thrown out of a car and money was thrown on top of her. Like she's just trash. And then she was 
the the guy who threw her out of the car drives away leaving her in a dirty alley <laughs> and that's how the original movie ends and as we know of course it is more like she saves him he saves her we call it kind of a cinderella story and it's very fascinating to me that the guy who wrote 3000 went on to write movies action movies like under siege and under siege 2. you know what's weird is doesn't pretty woman end with like someone yelling like welcome to hollywood what's your dream what's your dream that's great yeah and i feel like this dude just lived the dream. He wrote a dark 3000 that turned into fucking Pretty Woman. And then he comes out and writes Under Siege 1 and 2, Chain Reaction, and VIP. <laughs> Sign me up. I'm moving to Hollywood. <laughs> so for you, this is an inspirational story. Hey, I'm going to fucking write the Red Sneaker Part 2 about the <laughs> stand-up comedian. J.F. Lawton, if you're out there, uh, Josh wants the rights to Red Sneakers. <laughs> All right. Well, that I, I love that story. That's very fascinating. Okay. I, we're, this is what I want to say for a conversation for a different day. But I just want to plant the, plant the seed, let it germinate. I watched Nobody, and I really like Nobody. I also happen to really like John Wick, and it's from the same writer. And these movies definitely take place in the same world. And it just, as I was watching uh, Nobody, I was just kind of shocked at how similar these two movies were. It's the brand of the writer, right? It's like, hey, this guy wrote John Wick, and therefore we know what we're going to get from Nobody, right? Is that why these movies exist? I mean, I think so. You want an action movie, you're going to hire the guy who's written the best action movie in the last, you know, 10 years or whatever. And That's true. It feels like the only thing, the only thing that makes, like, John Wick so special, besides... You know some some very i get i mean i won't say very creative action scenes but creative action scenes is just that emotional push of his puppy dying and and that's what drives him through and so you're emotionally invested in those crazy action scenes and so if you just flip that switch you just flip what the emotional uh inciting incident is you could do this infinitely right <laughs> what if i told you that inciting incident was like almost the exact same no but with a cat <laughs> Shut your mouth. <laughs> you need to watch it. I need to watch it right now. Yeah. I'm just going to let that hang there and let's write or jump into the ghostwriting conversation. <laughs> I love nobody, by the way, and John Wick and that fucking writer. Good for him. Yeah. Very good for him. All right. So, yes, we are talking about ghostwriting today, which is something that Josh and I, it's sort of been mulling in our brains for a while. Uh, I think our reaction to the fact that this job exists was was immediately horror. And so we we wanted to talk to a lot of ghostwriters to be like, what's the deal here? How do you get hired? What does this process look like? It, it feels like this sort of secret agent role yeah. within Hollywood, right? And let's just first talk about what is ghostwriting. So ghostwriting is when you are hired, actually paid money to write someone else's project. And it can be anything from a pitch to an outline to an actual full-length script. But you get no credit on it, which is where the ghost thing comes in. So these people might also be called script doctors. Mm. The script doctors also don't get credit on these movies. I think the most famous script doctor I can think of is Carrie Fisher, who apparently wrote on movies like Hook, Last mm -hmm. Action Hero, one of my personal favorites, even some of the Star Wars movies. Joss Whedon also has been a script doctor um, or, you know, a ghost writer on really big movies like Waterworld, Speed, 
Twister, X-Men. And he said that he usually gets the call to ghostwrite on something when they are making a movie already and they should not be. So he mm -hmm. describes the job of a script doctor as someone who, quote, may face any number of challenges from, gosh, this one scene doesn't work to, wow, this script sucks. But the basic charge remains the same for a ghostwriter, connecting whatever dots they already have, and it's taking whatever they're, they're married to and then trying to work something good in between the cracks of it, end quote. So sometimes these ghostwriters will also be brought in to write like ADR for movies, which is like lines that actors have after the movie is done. So they kind of like dub over or use kind of off-screen dialogue where it'll kind of cut away so you don't see the actor, but you still hear them talking off camera. It's kind of a handy movie trick to editing trick to use. So like Ryan Johnson, for instance, he was the writer director of Knives Out, Last Jedi, Looper. He came in and did some ghost writing on some ADR stuff for the movie Godzilla. So it's a thing that people at all levels do, which I think is what's fascinating. So as Josh and I were kind of learning more about this, that it's a thing people do a lot. It was interesting to see that it happens at all writing levels, right? Ryan Johnson, Joss Whedon, Carrie Fisher, and then a lot of the writers we talked about who are not these A-list writers. So I don't know. To me, like my reaction was like, is nothing real? I know. But yeah, and kind of going back to what you were saying, what was so interesting, I think, that you and I were like, oh my God, is we kind of went into this, you know, underground John Wick world where we started to get connected to certain people who were doing these ghostwriting jobs for pretty well-known writers. And mm -hmm. they were being directly hired from different writers. And it, it was just all really fascinating because I feel like when you start writing, you're kind of, in, when meaning when you just get going, your initial reaction is like, I don't ever fucking need a ghostwriter, never. I'm never going to let someone ever write me, like write yeah. the words for me. Because you're writing because you love writing and you love your product and you love just this process and the, your vision and all of those things. And so having someone else come in and write for you doesn't feel like anything you'd ever even entertain at no. all. That's not the point. I think you're going to have a ghostwriter one day. No, no, no. Don't even put that in the world. And I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> at the end of this podcast. <laughs> oh, God. my seat. Um, all right. So what we did is we ended up talking to a bunch of ghostwriters, and we're going to spend today trying to just understand this mysterious secretive job that nobody talks about in Hollywood. Yeah. And I want to start with a couple stories, if that's okay. Oh, I'm fucking ready. <laughs> Let's go. All right. So this is sort of fireside chatty, but imagine I'm a showrunner's assistant on a TV show. And as a showrunner's assistant, it's kind of an interesting job. And it definitely varies depending on the showrunner, but for the most part, the showrunner's assistant is not a creative job. So in writer's rooms, you'll often have a showrunner's assistant and a writer's assistant. And the writer's assistant, that's the one who's like taking notes in the room, they're sending all of those room notes at the end of the day to all the writers. Sometimes, if the showrunner is a good showrunner without an ego, they will also let the writer's assistant pitch ideas in the room as well. So they are often responsible for like the creative stuff, doing research projects, writerly stuff. Whereas a showrunner's assistant is really not doing room notes. They're not doing research projects. They're not pitching. 
They're often aspiring writers themselves, but they are very administrative. They schedule meetings, they coordinate meetings so that the showrunner is where they need to be because the showrunner has dozens of things to do all the time. Just they're updating schedules, they're coordinating the showrunner's very busy life. So I'm a showrunner's assistant on a very big show at a major streaming service and I'm a writer. So I'm aching to do something really creative and I'm also ambitious. So without being asked, I decide I'm gonna start doing notes on drafts that are coming in from other writers in the room. And I turn them into my showrunner just to say like, hey, totally ignore these if you want to, but I had some thoughts that might be helpful. And the showrunner reads them. Uh -oh. She writes back to me mm -hmm. and she says, wow, these are really great. Like you're super smart. You're clearly a great writer and a great reader. I agree with all of these notes. And you know what? I am so busy right now. Would you mind just implementing your notes in these drafts? Now, one of the big jobs of a showrunner is that every draft that comes in from your writers, you are actually expected to rewrite them. And it's not because those writers suck. You hire writers you love because you think that they're very talented. You're rewriting them for a variety of reasons. It might be because they don't quite have your tone. And since this is your show, you wanna make sure the show matches your tone. Um, maybe you rewrite because you, as the showrunner now have a complete picture of what all the episodes should look like. Whereas a writer who's writing episode four, they just are focusing on their episode, which makes sense. That's their job. So you as a showrunner are always rewriting scripts that you get in from your writers. It's just part of the job. And the writers in the room all know that. A lot of showrunners actually will turn down jobs I've heard because that's just so much work, all of the rewriting. But anyways, back to the story. So the showrunner is very busy because she's rewriting other things. So she tells me, the showrunner's assistant, hey, your notes are great. Go ahead and implement them. And I do. And it's like, damn fine job, Tasha. And it starts to become routine because uh -oh. I did such a good job. Yeah. And she's busy. She's, the, the showrunner's doing a million other things. I've now been able to take some of the rewriting off her plate. And that feels pretty great because now she super trusts me. And I'm starting to rewrite writers who have been in like 30 other shows, <laughs> like writers who are really experienced. And I'm just the assistant here rewriting them. And then the day finally comes, one of the writers on the show says in the room, hey, showrunner, why did you change this thing here in my script? And the showrunner doesn't turn to me and say, well, I had Tasha address those notes. Actually, Tasha, you want to talk about that? She doesn't say that. Instead, the showrunner says that she made the change and this is why I made the change. And that's the moment I realize, ah, I am ghostwriting for this showrunner. She's yeah. never going to acknowledge that I did any of this rewriting. The interesting thing about this story as well is that as the show wraps, one of the writers actually emails me, showrunner's assistant, and says, hey, I could tell that some of the changes in the script were actually you. <laughs> like, I could tell that your voice was in there. And they ask me, hey, like, first of all, I think I'm going to, I'm about to get in trouble. But then they actually say, I have a project for you. You want to ghostwrite for me since you did it for someone else? And now my kind of ghostwriting career is sort of off to the races. And that's how it can start is really kind of the point of that story. Yeah, what's really crazy about that is 
it's like as you're describing this story, you can kind of see where it's going and how it's all building up to the ghostwriting relationship. And I guess that's how you get in. If someone trusts you, you, you can write for them. But it's pretty yeah. much up to the writer, obviously, you know, the showrunner to say, hey, we're going to come clean with our relationship and let people know you're writing for me or not. <laughs> I'm just going to take all the credit. Yeah. And in that particular scenario, your showrunner's assistant wages become your ghostwriting pay. Whether or not that's fair or not, that's sort of what's wrapped into now your your weekly job is to yeah. implement notes. Do you ask for extra money on top of your your base salary? I definitely would never have the balls to do that. The ovaries to do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but should you is is a whole other question. Yeah. I think this is also why this is such an inter interesting topic is because there's so many moral dilemmas in Hollywood that this could arguably be tossed into that category, although I don't think it should be. I'm just yeah. saying I could see where the argument would come in. Yeah. Well, if you look at if you flip it to the reverse and ask yourself instead, if you were a showrunner, Josh, would you have your assistant go straight for you or would you give them extra money and or credit on your show? Where where's the comfortability for you if you were that showrunner? Well, personally, right now at where I'm at mentally, I would be very grateful and probably be slipping this person some extra money because I haven't really fully accepted like, oh, like if someone's writing for me, I'd be like, oh my God, thank you so much. Like, holy shit, you just cracked this scene. You just sound perfect. That's my dialogue. That's amazing. You did it. I understand fully why it's kind of like a hidden relationship, why you can't really talk about it because there's a lot of fallout. There's certain ramifications. There's uh, politics in the writer's room. So I understand why things can't be said but I would probably personally kick some extra money. I think, I say that now, F give me like five, six years from now and <laughs> <laughs> this might be a different story. What about you? Well, so I have a fantastic assistant, shout out to Troy Dangerfield, he's fantastic. And hey, he Troy. very much is pitching in the room and, and part of our process. And I am actually co-writing an episode with him so we you know everything is split down the middle credit is split down the middle the money is split down the middle and we're sharing that story i feel and believe me like i need help on getting all of my scripts done yeah. and all my stuff done on time i do need help it's it's a it's a massive job but i have stopped myself at asking for additional help where people are not being sort of rewarded for it because it doesn't feel fair. I feel like if I asked Troy to start implementing notes and scripts, he is doing a job that he should be getting paid for, that I'm getting paid for, and that's not fair. So either I need to give him some of my money or I need to put my big girl pants on and just wake up earlier and get my job done. And that's just what I've been doing because it's just not fair. So that's where how I feel right now. So I've been saving this conversation for a little later in the podcast, but I feel like this is a perfect segue. Okay. When you get notes or when you get suggestions, when people pitch in the room and you take uh, Troy's brilliant idea 
is he ghostwriting in a sense? Is he kind of doing the exact same job as a ghostwriter? Well, I understand the interesting <laughs> question that you're asking. <laughs> That's actually what they're being paid to do, right? People who are in the writer's right. room are, are being paid to do just that pitch ideas. It's the actual implementing them on paper, which is a totally different process to, you know, put what's ever written on the cards, the beat cards on your episode down into an outline and then translating that again into a script are whole other skills, but also whole other jobs that you would need to be paid for at each step. Literally, a, writing an outline is one step. Writing a script is a whole different step that the WGA or IATSE insist you be paid at. So yeah, here's what I'll say. In television, I feel like it's very blurry because of writer's rooms because of the hours, because of spitball conversations that people have with each other. I don't know if this will ever change, but I understand how there, it's just kind of like a little gray zone where if people are working in the room and if you have a good writer's room and people who like to write and work and just want the best possible story, they're going to give you the best possible ideas no matter what. And a lot of times showrunners get credit for it, right? I mean, that's just the way it is, but that's how the writer's room and shows work. Where I feel like it's very cut and dry is in features. We mm -hmm. don't have to go over to that territory quite yet, but like features, you're like, you either have a ghostwriter or you don't. Mm. I understand where it gets very tricky and sticky and complicated. Like there's a difference between getting notes in a writer's room and having someone just write shit. That's what I think. I think there's a big difference there. That difference means you should be paid for additional work. I think I agree it's just kind of like it's not intuition but you just know if it's happening it's happening you know if you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing you feel it that's the thing is like yeah it's hard to articulate what where I see this line but I know that I cannot ask someone who's not getting paid for an episode to write for me this episode totally I also don't want to because guess what it is my show it is my vision and I want to take ownership of that and that's part of the job yeah so speaking about the same story and kind of the step two, as I said, that writer's room where I was the showrunner's assistant transitioned into another job where actually that other job was for a writer who went on to write a major studio movie. And so now I'm writing on that. And then my showrunner went on to write a major studio movie, massive studio movie and what's interesting is what she does is she sends me the notes document that the studio sent to her on her draft and she says hey you were such a great writer's assistant for me or showrunner's assistant and I don't really have a lot of time to address these notes because I got a bunch of other projects I'm working on can you just go ahead and address them for me and the call that happened was like yeah, here's some specifics on what I want, and here's some ways to solve a couple things. But for the most part, here's the notes document from the studio. Go ahead and address them. I trust you because I've seen your work on, on my TV show. Mm -hmm. And at the end of what was essentially about a week's worth of work addressing these notes, that showrunner asks me, okay, how many hours did you spend on rewriting this? And to sort of make up a number because I wasn't really thinking about hours. And she goes, okay, cool. And she just Venmos me $600 for the week. So now showrunner 
who's made huge movies left and right, huge TV shows, has just gotten someone to do the studio notes for her for $600. It's hard to quantify how much you should be paid, basically. Yeah. It's up to the ghostwriter. Yeah. Further along, we're going to talk about payment and sort of other stories we heard about what other ghostwriters have asked to be paid. But in this particular story, the ghostwriter we, we spoke to didn't know anyone else who was ghostwriting, so didn't have any guidance on what am I supposed to charge here? And you can't really ask anyone because it's so hush-hush that you can't sort of expose yourself in a way that you're doing this job. And I think that is a difficult position for a writer to be in, and I think a, a unique one, but is a very real position you may find yourself in. So just know that that option is out there, I guess. And we're going to try and help you later on in the episode about what some people are asking for that kind of service. And I guess kind of a takeaway and that I know we're going to touch on is that kind of work begets work, like in all scenarios, especially with ghostwriting, because it's not really talked about. So yeah. And if this person is a big name writer, like like in this particular case, you can then potentially leverage that yourself where you like, hey, slip them your original spec script and say, would you be interested in producing this? You know, you, I've scratched your back, you scratch mine. And that's part of that process as well, potentially. Yeah, no, there's a, uh, th yeah, we're kind of leaving that part out. There's a huge trade-off where, assuming you have a good relationship with a huge showrunner who's now working on studio films, yeah, they're going to read your stuff and they might come on board. They might, I don't know. It's interesting. You know, I, I, it just depends on kind of, it's almost something you can't quite figure out until you're done with it, where you kind of look back and see where the dots connected. Yeah, I imagine you get just so wrapped up in it. Like it just kind of snowballs into something. You suddenly find yourself in the middle of this being like, oh, I just rewrote four scripts, four episodes of the show entirely by myself and completely with the showrunner's blessing, but in secret. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. All right, let's talk a little bit more generally about this stuff. Like I said, Josh and I kind of cold from talking to a few people around town, none of whom interestingly wanted to be named because I think the people that they're ghostwriting for do not want anyone to know that someone else has worked on their script. So here's some just general information about ghostwriting. So first of all, kind of one thing that seemed to repeat itself was that nobody likes to be a ghostwriter and that nobody likes to be ghostwritten. So a ghostwriter does it usually because they need money, right? Or experience. But as you can tell from the stories that we've already told, a ghostwriter really just wants to be writing their own stuff. That's why they're here in Hollywood. That's why they're doing the job. Meanwhile, the ghostwritten people are doing it not because they're lazy, presumably, um, mm -hmm. but because there's a deadline that they can't make without help. So that to me became very interesting to think about where you have all these big A-list writers that are getting so big. They have so many projects. I mean, we talk about this all the time. You and I always have like five projects going at once. Imagine all of those are five projects that people are paying us for that have very real deadlines. Yeah. I might not be able to make those deadlines if I don't ask for help. And I think that is where this moral dilemma <laughs> becomes yeah. a very real question for some writers. That's where you start putting your toe in the pool and you're starting to say, okay, well, you know, I had a friend who might be able to help me out here. I have all these projects and if they can just cover some of these notes and 
kind of get a handle on it? Sure, why not? By the way, let me just say, the theme of this episode is our investigating. <laughs> it started with a deep dive into Pretty Woman, and now here we are. So exciting. Our secondary job, investigative journalists in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about general stuff, general stuff <laughs> that we learned. You go first. Yeah. Here's what's interesting, and I'm sorry if I'm stepping on one of the writer's toes if this is something you wanted to talk about, but what I found was really interesting, someone we talked to kind of thought of themselves less as a ghost writer and more of a ghost producer. Mm. And that was a really interesting way to think about it because he was a person who needed to, like he wouldn't necessarily go in and just completely doctor a script. He would come in with multiple ideas of how the script could be different and better. And that's what was really interesting to me because it kind of made me think, well, is a producer not doing their job? Mm -hmm. Is it like what's going on here? But maybe he's also just really great at notes. Yeah, it is interesting. And we have this conversation all the time. And we had this with this particular ghostwriter where we were talking about a good producer versus a bad producer and also how producing has changed over time. And this person was saying that years ago, they sold a script to a producer and the producer had like 10 people working at the office, all of whom read it, all of whom gave thoughts. This producer had notes from all these people. And then the writer came into a meeting with him to, to do notes with this producer and this producer had like carted up all of his entire script, meaning he broke his script down into every single scene and put index cards up on a board and was like, all right, let's do notes. Let's go through the story, which by the way, has never happened to me. That's an incredible producer. But now production companies kind of have less people on staff, but they have the same amount of projects if not even more projects that they're developing at any one time so that they can kind of stay afloat and stay relevant. So they don't have time to do that with writers anymore. And a lot of producers just aren't even good at doing that with writers. They're good at kind of the business end of things, right? Like gathering finances, getting interest in a project, selling it, being charming and attaching actors and directors, but they're not necessarily good at story. So they leave that entirely up to the writer. That now means this writer has no one to talk to and spitball with over their story. And I think one writer actually told a really interesting story specifically about this, where he said that he wrote a script about a teenage girl who like the, the general idea was that this girl wished for things to come true in high school. And the producer who was a big name producer, he didn't name who that was, but a very well-known producer gave the note that I don't think teenage girls would wish for those things. And so the writer was kind of excited. He kind of settled in and he was like ready to have this conversation of like, okay, cool. Then what, what did you wish for as a teenage girl? Like, how can I be sort of more realistic and true to the story? And the producer got really annoyed and said, quote, I'm not going to do your fucking work for you. <laughs> so that is a bad producer, right? A good producer would be like, oh, Let's collaborate. Let's talk about that. A good producer likes to dig in and help the writer with story. So I think the thing we kept finding, Josh and I, in talking to these ghostwriters was that because writers aren't finding producers that are filling the role they're supposed to be filling, ghostwriters start to fulfill that role. These writers start to look for other writers to help them. Yeah. And I think if you don't have a writer's group, we are very lucky. We talk about our great writer's group all the time. But if you don't have a writer's group, if you don't have a manager who you can trust creatively, 
I really hiring a ghostwriter is the best way to get feedback and engage someone to help you, sadly. You mean hire like someone to give you notes? Hire a ghostwriter the, the way that you just described, that one writer who feels like he's more of a kind of producer when he ghostwrites than he is a writer, meaning someone who like gives various versions and like we'll kind of talk about more specifics, but that's a real job. What was interesting about that person was that he was saying that when it comes to his own writing, he's very precious and it's very hard for him to kind of figure out where a story should go. But when he takes on someone else's project and he's reading it and it's like he's trying to figure out where the story should go, he's just fucking throwing out ideas. And he's like, here's one, here's another, here's another, here's another. And it's just so crazy how you can separate, you know, Tasha, here's your script. This is exactly what should happen in your script. But like sometimes as the writer, you just can't see that. Absolutely. You get stuck and you need someone to kind of jog you free. And yeah, if you don't have any kind of network to do that, who will do it for free, you have to then hire someone. Yeah. But it's so interesting, like that writer that you're mentioning now, who sort of feels like he, he acts more of as a producer versus that other writer that I told stories about. Those are two very different requests, I think, Yeah. that, that the writer is asking of the ghostwriter. So that second one who kind of feels more like a producer, it was interesting to talk to him because he was saying that he's more there to like inspire the writer that hired him and give them great ideas. So like some examples of work that someone, a ghostwriter like that might do would be to write multiple versions of a scene, right? Just try different versions, go crazy. They might take one character and just work on that specific character throughout a script. Like your character Bob is unlikable, do a pass on making him more likable throughout the script. And you can try different versions, be crazy about it. Those kinds of examples are really interesting because that again is what we kind of do in writer's group is like, hey guys, I'm struggling with this scene. Can we just kind of brainstorm different ways into this scene? And again, if you don't have that network, hiring a ghostwriter is the next great idea. Have you started the program of the Act Two Ghostwriters? <laughs> I think I should. It's kind of genius. Boom. Ghostwriter poll from Act Two. Hit us up. <laughs> Actually, that's a good segue into sort of what payment is for this. So we heard a couple different variations of payment. One example we heard was $350 to $500 a day. That was what was quoted to the writer. And the ghostwriter said that's typically about four to five hours of writing. So basically it's a day rate, but really that person's writing or ghostwriting for four to five hours. Yeah. And I think the 350 end is something smaller, like a polish, whereas 500 is for maybe deeper character work or, you know, having to do a bunch of different scenes and turn those out. So yeah, that's an interesting range. I, I got to be honest. I feel like... I guess depending on the project, it should be more. Well, it's interesting you say that because a producer was very well aware of ghostwriting being a thing and actually had a quote for what they expect a ghostwriter to make on a project. And this producer said that a ghostwriter should be paid anywhere from 10 to 20% of what the actual writer is paid for that draft. Mm. So in another example of someone that we talked to, 
she mentioned that she did a ghostwriting pass on a huge studio comedy movie. Huge name, everyone's heard of it. <laughs> um, comedy movie from a major studio and they were hired to do a joke punch up mm -hmm. and their compensation was $150. And it was probably not that much work, to be honest. It was probably, as, as you said, four to five hours of work to do, you know, a pass on just the jokes. But if we're talking about 10 to 20 percent of what the writer is paid, that's that's it's nowhere in that range. It's so crazy because writers know how difficult it is to do this stuff. Otherwise, they wouldn't be hiring a ghostwriter. Yeah. And I feel like no one it's just it's just. Are we cheap and greedy? Is that what the overall theme actually is of this? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. but also <laughs> I, I do feel like there's like a element to it where, I don't know, it's just, it's case by case. I'm sure at some people there's an element where it's like, you have to pay your dues. Maybe some showrunners were once ghostwriters at some point and they were paid fucking nothing. So now they're making someone else pay their dues. I'm sure there's someone else where- Well, that's very vengeful though, right? You're not gonna be that kind of person, are you? No, definitely not. That's terrible. Instead, what you do is you say, oh, I went through this horrible experience and was taken advantage of. Therefore, I'm not going to take advantage of you. Here's a bunch of money. <laughs> yeah. Well, you kind of have to keep your guard up in Hollywood. You know, it's people will take advantage of you. It's a dangerous place. Another ghostwriter actually talking about payment said that they wrote an entire studio movie. So like page one rewrite or first draft, it was unclear, but an entire studio movie, not just touch-ups, for someone else, and they did it in 30 days at the bargain base price of $5,000. Now, for a studio movie, that is definitely not 10 to 20% of what that writer was getting on that movie. That's crazy. I don't know, I don't know. This is, this is why it feels weird. Let me just say, we can't judge people by what they charge. Maybe they need certain they need certain things at certain times in their life. So it, that's where it gets a little tricky. I don't want to ever tell anyone how much they should uh, charge or what they should be making or whatever. Like, but do the ghostwriters tell their reps they're doing this? I feel like the consistent theme with these writers was that they absolutely do not tell their reps that they are doing this work. And also I think conversely, the writers who are hiring ghostwriters do not tell their reps that they are having someone yeah. do their work. So that's why it's, it's the secretive thing that no one really talks about and everyone's scared to talk about is because they continue to, to keep this secret. And what I should have done is <laughs> talk to my agents about this before doing this podcast to sort of see what they knew about this job and this process. I think, interestingly, my agents are so incredibly yeah. practical that they'd be like, yeah, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, totally. That's the other thing is you just have to do what you have to do. It makes total sense. And there might be a certain case where a writer can come on and say, hey, I will make your script better. I know how to make your script better. Let me do it for you. I'm not going to take credit. I just want a certain percentage. That is ha that's happened to me. To which you said? I said no. Well, out of curiosity, why, why did you say no? Was it because you didn't want someone taking some of your end result money? Or was it because you felt so precious about your work, you didn't want anyone touching it? Honestly, it's not even that I felt precious because if it was given to me as a note, I would have taken it. It, it was more so where mm. I just didn't feel right about it at that given time. And I was like, listen, I've, I've, I've put this much time and energy into this script. I'm going to fucking die by it. And this is, this is what it is. Mm. And I'm going to be happy with 
whatever happens. Yeah, I feel like in some ways it's an ego thing where you're just like, oh, totally. how dare you say that you can rewrite my script and make it better and then take some of my money for it. I can make it better. Fuck yeah, that's exactly what it is. Your ego comes into play. All right, so let's talk about some examples of work that a ghostwriter might do because this I found really interesting, just the different tasks that these people have been asked to do by other writers. So one might be rewrite an entire script based on a notes document, which we've already discussed. Another one is work on just one specific section of a script that feels really problematic, which God, have I wished for that so many times, <laughs> like to just come in and be like, I don't know what's wrong with this scene, but I know it's not working. Please help me. But we have writer's group. So thank you for doing it for free, Josh. Thank you. <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> Um, another thing ghostwriters have been asked to do is write multiple versions of a scene, which we also talked about, you know, two to three versions, try different points of view, try it funny, try it sad, just try different things. Yeah. Another job might be write a beat sheet or write an outline based off of a pitch script. So this is interesting because this, as we all know, for anyone who's ever pitched before, that when you pitch something, you don't really have the structure. Like, even though we say we're gonna give signposts of like, our inciting incident is this and our midpoint is this, really it's all very fuzzy because it's a sales pitch. That's what it is. It's not an actual thing that you can just translate to paper. And so having a ghostwriter who can, you can say like, here's my pitch script, somehow translate into, into a structure that works for a movie would be great. That sounds very helpful. <laughs> That's because that is a lot of work. This list is making me so pro ghostwriter. <laughs> I can't even explain. I know it's, it's, I'm very torn. A ghostwriter might also, this is very, very, very common. Just do kind of a finesse or like a, a fine tuning pass. So just go through and make sure all the stuff is singing. Basically dialogue is cracking and whatever. Another job is doing set pieces. You know, that's if you have a giant action scene and you have no idea how to actually accomplish that thing or you have a heist and you're not quite sure how the heist starts to happen, you hire someone to figure that shit out, which is also a thing I've definitely wanted because I've come up to set pieces that I'm like, I have no idea how these two yeah. fight and, and battle each other, but I'll get there eventually. Oh my God. But that's also the part of the fun of writing. Anyways. Another thing a writer, a ghostwriter might be hired to do is, well, actually, let's take a step back because you and I both write set pieces as part of yeah. our movies. We write big action adventure stuff. Don't you love writing set pieces? I do love writing set pieces. I feel like that's, because set pieces are kind of characters, right? Like that's, those are like characters in themselves and it should be a reflection, like they should take place in an area that's kind of, related to the character where if you have an overprotective person it should take place in like a glass museum or whatever the fuck you know where these th that's what's so fun about set pieces so I, I i would i would be really sad if i saw an amazing set piece not written by me in my own script i agree but here's the question you get on set and a director and a choreographer and the stunt man and woman they're gonna do their own version of that set piece Oh, yeah, I don't care. The script's already sold. It's in production. Do whatever the fuck you have to do. Well, but I think what you said is important, where as a writer, I also do this and love doing it, is finding like a character arc within a set piece, 
right? We, we've talked about J.J. Abrams, Spielberg. They're kind of masters at this where, yes, the setting becomes really important and that's something a writer decides, but also the the general overall movements within an action set piece and how your hero is failing and then suddenly succeeding all become the writer's job. And those in-between beats are kind of where stunt people and director and whatever come in. So yeah, I love set pieces. I wouldn't want a ghostwriter to touch them. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll also say when you're obviously, when you're on set in like you're, you're watching cuts and edits and you're like, hey, this needs to change. It's like, okay, this needs to change. No big deal. We'll change it. <laughs> well, then what does it matter if you have a ghostwriter? This is where, this is the problem. I actually have a little bit of a story about this. Oh, please. Okay. It was with the, the short film I did with Kai, Robu. Oh, yeah. So Robu, Kai goes to shoot it in Japan. I'm back here in Los Angeles chilling with my writer's group, just living the good life pre-2020. <laughs> Basically, I get, I don't, I can't remember if Kai messaged me, called me, or called me afterwards and was like, hey, listen, one of the actors who was from Japan, who was a very recognizable actor in Japan, wanted to change stuff in the script. Like it happened like a day before shooting. And it just all got completely switched around, changed. This part got bigger, certain areas uh, changed. I didn't care at all. I was like, that's cool. You got to do what you got to do. And I totally understand where hmm. an actor comes from. So I didn't, I mean, I didn't mind. It was a short film. But that's interesting. So for you, like the preciousness comes from the actual just the read, selling of the script. I think so. Beyond that, you sort of let go. Yeah. That's interesting. Because that feels like a gray area to me. That, that feels like that's just about principle. I just feel like a script is like the first of many different things. And you're constant, like as a screenwriter, it's like you write this script, but then you you work with the director, so then you have to change it again. And then you get on set, and then you have to change it again. And it's constantly evolving, and you're constantly pitching the script and all these. Th so it's, it's like that first thing that I think I'm most attracted to. It's like the spec, if you would, where it's like, this is mine. Yeah. Well, it's it's like what we were talking about in our last episode with Kunkka, this idea that the only thing you can control is that script that you sell. And I get that. All right, a couple last bits of things that ghostwriters might be hired to do. Character work. So I think we'd, I already said this, but you take a specific character, walk through that script to make sure that they're tracking or that they're likable or whatever the past might be. And then finally, joke work. This is very common where a ghostwriter will come in to just try to make a character funnier or make the jokes in the script pop more. I, you know what? I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a problem with a joke pass because mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I unless it like alters characters and stuff like I just feel like a joke pass is kind of its own thing I both half get that and half having written something that had some comedy in it like Red Sonia has some funny in it I like yeah it's great I feel like I I, I feel very attached to the jokes I ended up coming up with and but you, you go back to what you said were saying about a writer's room and a hundred percent I'm getting pitches in the writer's room of really funny jokes that I would not have come up with on yeah. my own that I'm going to translate onto script and it's going to be my name on the script, but it's going to be someone else's joke technically. So it's almost like an assault on you. If you get the note, make this funnier. It, <laughs> it is like the hardest shit to deal with. Cause you're like, I gave it my all. Like I, <laughs> I don't know where else to go from here. How? Like, well, what do I do? 
Uh, yeah, that kills you. And it's like, this joke doesn't land. This isn't funny. Yeah, what? you can deal with like, make this character more likable or change the first act, like these stupid big notes. But when you get like that joke note, it's like, oh man. Why does that hurt your soul more? It does though, it does. Never want to be a comedian. No. Never could be. So it works out. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> I think something interesting, too, that we talked about was kind of flipping the script a little bit, as it were, and talking about what actually makes a good writer who gets ghostwritten. So what makes a good ghostwritten writer, right? Yeah. And I think a few things started popping up where one of the writers was saying that his writer that he rewrites does a lot of work themselves where like every night the ghostwriter would send pages in and the for lack of a better term real writer would read them do notes on them have guidance for the ghostwriter for the next day i think that's just a really great way to work with your ghostwriter rather than just handing it off and being like cool thanks appreciate it and getting it back and just going with their stuff um yeah I think coming with pitches for how to address notes, if you're actually asking the ghostwriter to address notes rather than just handing them a notes document and telling them to go. I mean, I think that just as an ownership thing of trying to own this script that you're being paid to write, you would want to you know, have ideas for the ghostwriter. Another thing that some ghostwriters were saying would be really helpful is if you're as specific as you can be with what you want the ghostwriter to work on in a given day or in a given project. And another thing which I thought this was interesting was show the ghostwriter the raw stuff, meaning all your brainstorms, the stuff you're kind of insecure about, just like the stuff that's been going on in your head about this project. Share that stuff with them because every little bit helps because really what the ghostwriter is there to do is get into your head and deliver what you want and what you need. And so I think um, some ghostwriters are finding that the writer hiring them is very, is weirdly very precious about the product as much as they are still handing the reins over and they don't give them all the material they need to do the best job they could possibly do. So that's, those are kind of the keys to being the best writer to a ghostwriter, if that is what you're going to do. I think the big takeaway is just have guidance and having a ghostwriter, you have to let them know what they're doing. Yeah, you'd think that would be the, the basic requirement. Kind of wrapping up with a, a crazy story one of our, our ghostwriters told that I don't even know how I'd react to this. So <laughs> a producer pays $1 million to a big-named writer. This big-named writer goes off, and they write for eight months, and they turn something in, in eight months and their deadline was four months. Like that's how long it was supposed to be before they turned in a draft. This person took twice as long to turn it in. And when they turned it in, surprise, the writer that they hired, their name is not on the title page. Mm. So the writer calls the producer and says, look, I didn't have time to write this. I was doing other things. So I, ha I paid my buddy to do it out of that million dollars you gave me. So here's his script. <laughs> and his buddy's name, to be fair to this writer, was on the title page, so he was giving him credit. But the producer was like, um, that's great, but I didn't pay your buddy to write this script. I paid you to write this script. And as we've talked about, it's a very long process to find the perfect writer for your story to execute what you, as a producer, want them to execute. So I imagine this was very frustrating for him. And the script that this 
Buddy turned in was crap. So now as the producer, I've just wasted $1 million on a guy I didn't even hire. (laughs) 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 And because this was a big name writer, like they, they burned that bridge and sort of didn't care. But that is the crazy ghost story of the day. (laughs) I feel like ghost writer story of the day. This shit's also crazy. So in conclusion, Tasha. Yeah. Pro ghost writer or no ghost writer? No ghost writer on principle. Okay. Can I still be principled in Hollywood? No. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why you're going to have a ghost writer soon. You probably do right now. <laughs> These stories are about you. Oh my god! Can you imagine? <laughs> Monster. <laughs> oh no! I'd be like a serial killer. That's another level. Yeah. What about you, ghostwriter or no ghostwriter? It's situation dependent. I will say this. Probably no surprise. When I started out, I was very anti-ghostwriter. Not a chance. No one's touching my work of art. But now, I get it. Maybe I'm just waiting for the right ghostwriter to come into my life. (laughs) It's like the perfect relationship. You're just waiting for the right person. (laughs) The next uh, act two thing that you should create is like a Tinder for ghostwriters and writers. Oh my God, that's genius. Like, hey, I need an uh, outline written by next weekend connect yeah instead of in the profile instead of sort of like i like long walks on the beach it's like i can get shit done in four hours i can yeah (laughs) this is my genre (laughs) i do jokes (laughs) oh that is genius all right so act two ghostwriting community coming at you soon (laughs) yeah big time get ready to download the app all right i'll take us out with the quote of the day i could be just a writer very easily I am not a writer. I am a screenwriter, which is half a filmmaker. But it is not an art form because screenplays are not works of art. They are invitations to others to collaborate on a work of art. Paul Schrader. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act2Writers for more awesome writing stuff. We're on Instagram. And you can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha3.0. And you can follow me on Instagram at Josh Hallman or Twitter at Joshua Hallman. And as always, the Act 2 podcast is a production of Act 2, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by 414 Beg, which you can find on Spotify. Spotify.